sin will be exposed. I've been around the block, this ain't my first rodeo, I've seen it in my own heart and life, seen it with people close to me, seen it with folks who try to get over. Sin, one way or the other, eventually is going to be exposed. Well, how do you feel yourself reacting to that statement? You hope it's not true, but what if the consequences of our sin were revealed today? Let's think about that. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher Crawford Lorenz. Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He spent 15 of them as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and we're sharing the messages from those pastoral years each week here on Living a Legacy. Now in retirement, Crawford heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. He's authored several books, and among them, Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and that one co-authored by his wife, Karen. We are in a series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, looking at the life of David. Now, as you may recall, David was a shepherd boy. He slew the giant Goliath, grew up to be the leader of a successful army, and became one of the best kings Israel ever had. But David fell in a very big way. Our text begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We are at the part where David attempted to cover up an act of adultery, which resulted in pregnancy. David had the woman's husband, Uriah, a loyal military servant, appear to be responsible for that pregnancy. But the plan didn't work. David was warned not to pursue this trail of sin, but he didn't listen. Let's see what we learn today. Again, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. You know what David does? Plan B. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the dude drunk. Just make him drunk. And so that's, that's, that's the deal. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll liquor him up and give him the best wine and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, and he'll, he'll be intoxicated and give in to more of his baser instincts and go home. And it'll be a done deal and fine. It'll accomplish the whole deal. But the problem is that he wakes up the next morning and Uriah, yeah, he got drunk, but he wasn't drunk enough to go home. He stayed at the palace. Plan B backfires. And still, God is giving David an off-ramp. David, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? What is it going to take for me to get through to you? By the way, I just need to say this. Some of us here, God's saying the same thing. What is it going to take for me to get through to you? You think you're so cute and smart and manipulative, you can hide your tracks and do all this other kind of stuff and nobody's going to find out? Really? And this is where you see how desperate David is and the depths of hardness in his heart. When you don't, when we don't repent of sin, when we don't respond to God, that's not neutral. That's not neutral. Every time we choose not to respond to God, what ends up happening is, is that a callus develops around our hearts. It gets harder and harder and harder. We see this in David. So what does David do now? Oh, verses 14 through 27, this is, this is kind of like he's desperate now. Mr. Brilliant Manipulator, didn't work for you, did it? So now what does he do? 
Well, David ordered the death of one of his most valuable soldiers. He writes this letter to Joab. And this is what I don't understand about Joab. By this point, David is not accountable to anybody. Nobody can tell David anything. He is unapproachable. He's not listening to anybody. And what I can't understand about Joab is that I wonder why Joab, when he read the letter, what are you doing, David? What are you asking me to do? What's, what is wrong with you? You're, you, in essence, want this man to be murdered. But Joab didn't do that. I don't know why. One of the great mysteries of the passage. I don't know why Joab didn't call him on it. I don't know why Joab didn't call him on the carpet. It's not that he was, he was close to David. But he writes this letter. And says, Joab, says, Joab says, all right. Puts him in the front line. That's what the letter suggested. In the heat of the battle. And Uriah. Uriah is killed. You know, this begs some questions here. And this is uncomfortable, but we've got to ask these questions. What lengths are you going to to cover up your sin? Now, let's, let's, let's keep it real here. What lengths are you going to to cover up your sin? Now, it may not be sexual in nature. It could be something else. What, what orchestrations, what manipulations, what, what conniving, what hiding, what things are you going through to cover up your sin? The second question we need to ask ourselves comes out of this. Are you more afraid of others finding out what you've done than you are about hurting the heart of God? David's at a very far place right now. When, when Uriah told him about, you know, these people are laying it all down and he's being loyal to the Lord, he's talking about his walk with God, you would have thought David would have responded to that. But David's at a very bad place. He's, he's only concerned about people finding out. He's only concerned about what others will think about him. At this place in his relationship with God, such as it is, David apparently doesn't care what God thinks. And that's what sin, that's what unrepentant sin will do to us. Unrepentant sin in our hearts and lives will, will, will cause us not to be fearful of the Lord. We don't fear God anymore. It will cause us to forget the mercies and the grace of God in our lives. Or it will cause us to pervert mercy. It will cause us to pervert grace. We will rationalize and say, well, I deserve God's grace and mercy. Of course, when Jesus died, he died for all my sins, past, present, and future. All I have to do is confess my sins to the Lord, and I, but I'll keep doing what I'm doing here. And, and, you know, we sort of like ignore God, really. Rebrand our theology, repackage it. The third question I think we need to wrestle with, with this whole cover-up business, is that do you realize your decision not to repent is to decide that you want sin to be a permanent part of your life? A refusal to repent. You may say, Crawford, I don't want this to be a permanent part of my life, but I keep doing it. Well, that's idiotic. Excuse my directness. That, that you, you have no power over that. When you refuse to repent, you have decided that that sin is going to be now a part of your identity. What you acted on is going to be a part of your identity now. That's who you are. 
David, you are an adulterer. You don't repent of your lie. You told a lie. You don't make it right. No, now, now, now you've entrenched that. That's part of your persona. That's part of who you are. It's part of your character right now. You are a liar. So this cover-up stuff is not neutral. So David feels like, okay, I'm, 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 no, we're done with this here. We're done with this here. Oh my. So he gets Uriah's wife, verse 26, brings Bathsheba home, becomes his wife. She bears him a son. I, I think in David's arrogance, and again, you've heard me quote this here before. I've quoted Chuck Swindoll a thousand times if I've quoted him one time on this one line. I think it's a great one because it's true. And that is, all unrepented sin means to live in a state of temporary insanity. David, David does this thing, and he actually thinks, he actually thinks nobody's going to find this out. Or the circle that knows about it, they're so loyal to him, nobody's going to peep his hand, nobody's going to tell on him. So he, he's actually, actually got it done. Now we trip over into the exposure the one who exposes David is not Nathan. Nathan was just a vehicle. God exposed David. Now look at this last line here, this sobering line of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is how stupid sin is. This is how Silly it is to think that we're going to get away with something. Tell people this all the time. I say it again here. Nobody ever, ever gets away with anything. Ever. And David, David thought, this is over. They're not going to tell on me. Well, that's probably true. They're not going to tell you. you got too much power. You can off them too. But here's the deal. What, what do you think? You're going to give God a gag order? You think you're going to shut God up? You, you think God's going to sit by and say, okay, you know, nobody knows. They're not talking. I guess I can't say anything either. Sin will be exposed. Unrepentant sin will be exposed. Let me say it again. Unrepentant sin, don't know when, don't know where, don't know how, but this stage in my life, I've been around the block, this ain't my first rodeo, I've seen it in my own heart and life, seen it with people close to me, seen it with folks who tried to get over, everybody's not saying, sin, one way or the other, eventually is going to be exposed. David and his smugness, now he sinned, here's the cover-up, now we walk into this whole idea of the exposure. The exposure. That's found in the last part of verse, uh, verse 27 and then over through chapter 12. And I'll just summarize this in the first few verses of chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Nathan comes to David. But God had spoken directly to Nathan about David's sin. God spoke to him. So Nathan shows up, and uh, 
David's, you know, it wasn't uncommon. They met all the time. Hey, what's up, Nathan? <laughs> Doing good, King. Uh, let me tell you this story, man. This uh, little story I want to share with you. This story of this very wealthy man that has all these flocks and herds and all these sheep, man. There's all over the place. And, you know, he had an out-of-town guest come in. And, you know, as is the custom, they throw a big dinner and a big feast for him. And, and they make lamb there. And it's just really, really, really great. But this man with all of this, all these herds and all of these flocks and all this stuff, he didn't want to take one of his. But across from his property, this uh, very poor family, and they only had one little ewe lamb. And this little ewe lamb was like the family pet. I mean, the kids loved this ewe lamb. David, as you know, always had a very strong sense of justice. And so when Nathan said, you know what this wealthy man did? Rather than taking one of his own lambs that he wouldn't even miss, he had so many of them. You know what he did? You know what he did? He went over there and took those kids' pet and killed it. Well, the text seems to indicate that David got so angry about the injustice that he interrupted Nathan's story right in the middle of it. Look what he says here. <laughs> Verse 5 says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. I'm going to come back to that. Because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. David's incensed. What are you talking about? How can somebody be that, be that heartless? Man deserves to die. Taking those kids' pet. And I tell you what, before he dies, he's going to pay fourfold. Nathan looked at him. David, you're the man. That's exactly what you did. And I can imagine the air comes out of David. David's probably thinking right now, oh my gosh. Maybe he's remembering when he was a young dude. Probably heard the story from Samuel. He was interviewing his brothers to see if he was the next king. And God told Samuel... God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks upon the heart. David had a soft, responsive heart to God all those years, running from Saul in the wilderness. All those years, he had to respond all those years. And the only reason why he got the kingdom is because he responded to God in his heart. And those words pierced his very soul. Look at me. My heart is now wicked and cold and callous. Nathan said, you did this. You absolutely did this, David. You're, you're, you're exposed. And when David condemns the rich man's sin, he also was condemning himself. And notice, notice this. Notice this. Listen to what God says through Nathan. This underscores the arrogant place at which David had arrived. Verse 7 says, Nathan said, David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that were too little, I would add to you as much more. I gave you everything, man. It's not like I wouldn't have given you what you needed. God gave David 
position and protection and possessions and prestige and privilege. And what you did, David, this is the inference here. What you did, David, is that you got to the place that you thought you actually deserved what I gave you. And you start to act like God. Taking people's lives, taking their, what are you doing? Now the consequences. You know, sin always pays unintended consequences. And I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to walk through this in a second, but let me really just say this to you right now, that, that, you know, certainly you can be forgiven. God will forgive us any sin that we committed. Don't, don't, he'll forgive us of it all. He'll restore us. Thank God for his grace and mercy. But it doesn't mean he'll take away the consequences. You can sleep around, and God will forgive you. But you might have a sexually transmitted disease. You can have an affair. Leave your wife or leave your husband for someone else and, 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 and break up the marriage and get divorced. And you got all these kids right here. And you can ask God to forgive you. And he will forgive you. He'll pour his grace on you. But you got unintended consequences. Now you got kids who have relational issues and problems. And you got to broker all of this stuff. So, you know, you, you got unintended consequences. And part of the trick of the enemy is to so give us a perverted view of grace and mercy that we think we can do whatever we want to do and we won't have to pay for it. All I have to do is just ask Jesus to forgive me. Well, it's not that simple. So David, here he is. And God spells out the consequences to him in verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and, and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. You might, you might say, well, boy, isn't that harsh? Let me tell you something. There's a principle in the Bible. To whom much is given, much is required. When God blesses you in a great way, when he has been good to you, when he showered you with favor and blessing, there, there is a tacit implication that there will be heart commitment and loyalty and faithfulness to him. That's the reason why Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because God had spoken to him uh, face to face and he had met with him on a daily basis. And when Moses decided to disobey God, he said, I can't have you do that. Why? Because I gave you too much. The same thing with David. I bless you, buddy. I gave you this throne. David's sexual sin would give rise to sexual sin against David, and this stuff came true. Yes, even though he repented, we're going to get to that in a second, this stuff came, it became true. The, that incestuous situation involving Tamar happened in his own house. And by the way, he saw in his own lifetime, within the immediate next few years, Uriah died because of David's sin, and four of David's sons would experience premature death. Four of them. Immediately, the unnamed son that Bathsheba bore died. After that, Amnon died. After that, Absalom died. After that, Adonijah died. And by the way, David pronounced his own judgment. When he said back up in verse 6, and the one who did this thing shall have to pay fourfold. The lamb that the man took and killed represent Uriah. And the fourfold represented the four sons of David. 
His own words provided his own judgment. And I know I've, I've said this here before, but I want you to write this down. I want you to write it in your Bible. It's not because I'm saying it, but I want you to write this down. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences. Once you sin, it's out of your hands. It's out of your hands, out of our hands. But the story doesn't end there. Bless the Lord. There's sin, there's a cover-up, there's the exposure, there are the consequences, but bless his name, there is repentance. God has crushed David. And unlike the manipulation that we read over in chapter 11, David responds with six words to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. This is the path to his repentance. There's no excuses here. There's no manipulation here. There's no covering things up here. There's none of that stuff any longer. I have sinned against the Lord. God had mercy on David. Listen to what, what the Lord does here in verse 7. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 13, he says, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And, the, and Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That was grace and mercy. He deserved to die because of the Levitical code, committing adultery. He should have been killed. But God in his mercy and grace backed off from some of the consequences. No, David. Not only that, I'm not going to take the kingdom away from you. You're still a man after my own heart. You hit a dangerous spot here, buddy. But you've turned to me. And by the way, that's what I'm pleading with all of us today. That we repent. If there's sin in your life that's not been taken care of, that's not been dealt with before the Lord, you're going places in your heart and mind that you ought not to be going to. I don't know what it is. It could be sexual sin. It could be some other character issues or whatever it might be. Listen, 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 listen. Walk out of the shadows. Walk out of the shadows. Walk out of the shadows. You don't want God to take his hand off of you. You don't want him to withdraw his favor from you. You don't want him to turn you over to the logical consequences and the logical end of sinful rebellion as a child of God. You really don't want that. The challenge to all of us today, and the challenge to me today is this. Don't play with sin. A powerful message from 2 Samuel chapter 11, The High Price of Failure. That was Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. We are nearing the end of Crawford's series titled The Pursuit of God's Heart, and we're looking at the life of David. The series is teaching us a lot about the condition of our hearts and how sin can torch even the most dedicated among us. Next week's message, Footprints in the Sand, and hope you'll be right back here with us. Thank you so much for your emails. They help us know that you're benefiting from this weekly program. And here's a recent one I had to write concerning the message on jealousy and facing our giants. I felt an empowerment and breakthrough concerning a matter that's been in my life for over 30 years. The message gave me something to fight with, to trust in, and keep me from being afraid to face some things. Continue to allow God to use you, to spread His Word, and bring people out of bondage. Thank you so much, Flora. You can write to us, too, at legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. If you joined us late for today's message, catch all of it on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. 
For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.